We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy your song. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happening. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You're gonna tell him. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Welcome to the Sword Cinema Podcast. This week we're going to be taking a look at 2021's The Suicide Squad, not to be confused with the other one. Uh, written and directed by James Gunn. My name is Patrick Murphy. Uh, joining me to talk about this movie and the chooser of this movie is Ricky D. What's up, Patrick? And of course, we also have the eminent Simon Howell. Oh, I wasn't expecting that honorific. Hello. <laughs> I like right, that. Rick, you can you can you can flatter me like that every week if you like that. I'm buttering you up to be on my side on this movie. Um <laughs> Rick, you chose this movie. Why? Well, I'm a huge fan of James Gunn. I've been a huge fan of him since the days of him working at Troma Studios. I'm a huge fan of Slitter, Super, Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, not so much the second film. He's a cool dude. I actually met him at the Toronto Film Festival. Really nice guy. So I had high hopes for this movie because the last movie was a major disappointment. And the last movie actually had one of the best pieces of marketing ever. The original trailer for that Suicide Squad film is incredible. Mm -hmm. And the movie did not live up to the hype, which was was David Ayer's movie. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not going to really talk about that. It was a huge mess. But I had huge high hopes for this film. I didn't think that they would mess it up twice, like back to back. This is like a really fun, chaotic, violent, bloody superhero film. It's it's a blockbuster that speaks to me. I, I like the grindy vision of James Gunn. And it's edgy, it's sharp. And I think we have a lot to talk about. It's directed with style and verve. It's It's maybe his best film. And you know what? Interesting. You know what? I think unlike most superhero movies these days, the Suicide Squad stands out because it's so distinct that I don't see myself ever getting specific aspects or scenes confused with other films. Like when I watch Marvel movies, I always think like, was that movie from the first Captain America movie or the second or the third? Or was it Iron Man or was it Thor? Like I'm all confused. It definitely helps that Marvel movies or uh, Marvel movies look the same no matter what. And DC has no idea what it's doing with its universe, so they all are completely different. Uh, But before we dive into this, let's hear a clip from the Suicide Squad. Robert Dubois. He's in prison for putting Superman in the ICU with a kryptonite bullet. I'm not joining your Suicide Squad. We'll see. My court need is coming up. 
And Miss Wallerson, maybe you could help me out. You're stretching in my door! Everyone stand down. Miss Waller, I don't- Stand down! I wouldn't take such extreme measures if this mission went more important than you could possibly imagine. Are you in or out? Good. Let's meet your team. It's okay, I'm not okay. Each member has chosen for his or her own completely unique set of abilities. I need to feel the raindrops on my head, on my head. Hey guys, sorry I'm late. Had to go number two. Good to know. Is this thing a dog? A dog? What kind of dog do you think it is, mate? I'm gonna go with Afghan hound. Oh my god, is it a werewolf? Yo, they stop me into a werewolf! Yo, let me out! Hey, he's not a werewolf, okay? He's a weasel. He's harmless. I mean, he's not harmless. He's killed 27 children, but, you know. Your mission is to destroy every trace of something known only as Project Starfish. Any questions? Starfish is a slang term for a butthole. Think there's any connection? No. No. All right. Let's get it. This is suicide. Well, that's kind of our thing. I'm a superhero! That's my dad. I want to get you out of real life. I'm going to get you out of here alone. Ratatouille, what do you got? Bird. <laughs> now, now, it. Stay off the comp. All right, that was a clip from James Gunn's Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad, not Suicide Squad. God, I'm going to have to remember that. Um, all right, so, Rick, you talked about how you, you like this movie. I'm going to be right up uh, right up front of this. I liked this movie, too. I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I think I, I, you know, I'm not a big James Gunn fan. Um, I had recently watched, I, I told you this, that I had watched Sliver recently to try to get into the spirit. I knew we were going to be watching the Suicide Squad. I've seen both the Guardians movies. I've not seen Super. But I don't really care for the Guardians movies, and I didn't care for Slither. But uh, I liked this movie a lot. It was fun. And I have some problems with some of the stuff, but they're very, very minor nitpicks. Um, Simon, what did you think? I uh, I liked the movie. I thought it was perfectly fine. I um, I initially watched it uh, a little while ago, and then I, I watched it again uh, for this podcast. And I did find that in the interim between first viewing and second... Uh, a lot of the movie had not really stayed with me. I don't think it's necessarily a, you know, a deep lingering, uh, no. <laughs> you know, entertainment that has a lot to say. I mean, it, ha- it has some things to say, I think, which we can sort of, into. sort yeah. of, but it, it's not primarily uh, a, a delivery device for uh, that sort of thing. But uh, I overall, I, I enjoyed it. I, I suspect like, uh, like Patrick, I have some nitpicks. Maybe, maybe some of them are the same, uh, but in general, um, I had a good time with it, and I think it has a lot going for it. So what didn't you like so much the second time around watching it? Because I actually felt that the tone and pacing was no, far no, no. better. I, I didn't have any problems on second viewing. All I'm saying is that the film had not, li- like, it didn't stay with me a lot. 
so that by the time I went for a second viewing, it was still entertaining because the movie hadn't stuck with me. You would you, see what I'm saying? Oh, okay. Like, I had like, the oh. opposite reaction. Yeah. I couldn't stop thinking about it, that I needed to watch it again right away. And I actually enjoyed it much more the second time, which is weird because the first time I actually watched it with my family and there was like a crowd and, you know, that just helped with the excitement of the film and the overall ambiance in, in the room and the environment. But then watching it a second time, I think... I think like the first time I was, I was like, it's hard to explain. Like I had expectations, but it's not so much that I thought it would be amazing or was hoping it would be amazing. It's just that I was always looking out for like the Easter eggs and the jokes and the side gags. And the second time I just like went with the flow and I just let the movie sink in. And I I joked around on Twitter. I was like, this is a movie with a beautiful message about how we all have purpose. (laughs) And like, I mean, that is the message of the movie, but like the original comic, <laughs> and I'm not talking, I'm not talking about the original team because the original team was created in like 1959, but the original comic of the Suicide Squad, like it really dove into these issues about the prison system in the United States of America and how every single one of these people was disposable and the government just didn't care if they lived or died. And it was like dark and twisted and it had like purpose and meaning. And James Gunn, is a director who likes his family dynamics. You look at Guardians of the Galaxy, for example, right? You look at the daddy issues in those movies, the subplots about parenting. That's not so much found here, but I do feel like they are a family by the end of the film, even though most of them don't survive. Like they do grow as characters and we get to like them and we, we sort of like fall in love with these characters. Like at first, we're not entirely sure if we're going to like everyone, at least not me. But by the end of the film, I, I, I realized like, hey, I actually like every single one of these outcasts. The, uh, there, is, there are some daddy issues via the Idris Elba sort of C-plot. But yeah, you're right. It's not a, it's not a well, huge and element. Rat Catcher 2. Oh, that's true. Yes, that's issues. true. Like yeah. straight up. When you compare it to the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, I mean... It's barely there. Yeah. Unlike yeah. the Fast and the Furious, this is in fact not all about family. <laughs> I don't not know. To sense. me, I, I sort of like those are the parts I, I any anytime where James Gunn tries to say anything with his movies, I think he falls flat on his face. I think he is a very shallow director, like from my perspective, and he should stick to that because that's what he's very good at. I don't think this movie's trying to do too much, by the way. Like I I don't think it's trying to do anything at all. It barely has a message there, and it's very like I wouldn't even say half-assed. It's like quarter-assed message in in my mind. But but that's fine because it's not trying to be that, and and not every movie has to have something like that. Those are the weakest parts of the movie for me when the characters try to get serious. But luckily, they're they're, they're rare enough. They they don't happen very often, and the movie just is more like it's very cotton candy. It's very popcorn it's 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 fun and and he's very good at rick you talked about the style i think that's what that's what sets suicide squad apart from especially the other dc movies and really marvel movies i mean my god there's actual style in this um so that that to me is what carried it through the actual story i don't really care and they could have killed off everybody frankly and it wouldn't really matter to me um because they kind of set that tone right at the beginning. Nothing he sets the tone immediately. Nothing in this film is to be taken seriously, and so when well, the, I wouldn't say nothing. Uh, well, well, no, he he sets the tone where anyone can die, 
And you're supposed to laugh at it. Those deaths are all funny. So nothing can be, no deaths can be taken seriously in this. Therefore, later on, when he has these characters speak like serious lines, you're like, okay, whatever, James Gunn. Like, I, I already know, you already set the rules for this movie, and that was that we should be making fun of people dying. So you can't go really go back on that now. But he doesn't too much. He, he really doesn't. With one with one notable exception, which we'll get into. Yeah, yeah. but that, that's a point I'm trying to make. Like, because he doesn't dive deep into the daddy issues or the family issues or the prison system or any of the major themes that we've seen in the comic book and or the previous film, he yeah. just sits back and he has a lot of fun making this movie. He actually said it's the first time he actually had fun making a movie on set. Like, he loves writing. He loves editing. He loves post-production. But he hates being on set filming. And he said this was the first time he actually enjoyed his time on a movie set. But yeah, but you're right. Like right away from the opening scene, like, you know, talk about a swerve. Like, you know, you look at movies like Scream or Psycho where they kill off like a major character early on in the film. In the case of like Scream, of course, is Drew Barrymore. In this movie, you get introduced to like what, seven characters, one of which is played by Michael Rooker. Daniel Fillion makes a cameo appearance. Yeah, you assume that one of these guys, if not a few of them, are going to survive. And really only two do, which is Harley Quinn and Rick Flagg. Well, technically the werewolf survives too, but we only find out post-credits. The weasel. He's a weasel, He's a werewolf. werewolf, Rick. No, he comes to life at the end of the movie because of the full moon. He's clearly a werewolf. But he's called the weasel. <laughs> well, that's his name, but he's 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 a werewolf don't, named Weasel. Don't box him in. Yeah. He can do more than one thing. But by like, so when that that opening sequence, right, so when the movie started and everyone started to die, like I was watching it with my nephew, my sister-in-law, who never read a comic book or at least not a DC comic. I don't think they've ever read a comic. But anyways, the point is they were floored. They were shocked. They're like, what is going on here? Like, And then we, we realized that they're just a distraction and the real Suicide Squad arrives on the island. And and then that's when we actually get introduced to the proper cast. But having Harley Quinn and Rick Flagg in that you know, first group, right? It was a huge major swerve, I thought. Like, I had no idea that these dudes were going to die. I uh, I really liked, I think if I had to isolate one, like one thing that kept me engaged the most throughout the movie, more than the humor even, or like the, the general carnage, it was the the structural games uh, and sort of the, the, the tossed chronology. Uh, sometimes that, that shit can be really annoying, but here I think it's all handled pretty well. Um, I liked the chaptering, um, and uh, it, it it also helps the, the movie seem less long than it actually is. I think the chaptering. Um, so I I I, I liked all those um, the ways the ways it was, it was playing with structure and form. Uh, I liked basically all of it. I liked the chaptering. I, I probably I mean we could get it. We may get into this later. I'm not sure what I'm going to pick for my changing thing, but I wasn't so big on the flashback stuff. Um, you know, the eight minutes earlier or something like that. That kind of stuff I don't really care for in any movie ever. So I don't know. It didn't, it's, it, again, not like it's terrible. It's done about as well as that sort of thing could be handled, but I guess I'm just not a fan yeah, of it. It's just not personally to your, to your liking. Yeah. No, yeah. but it does keep the audience on their toes because you're yes. always trying to figure out what is going on. How do we get here? And then, of course, they give us a flashback. But I do like the transitions and the title cards that yeah, transition great. with each scene, yeah. which I thought was really clever and creative um some really you know, inventive like, ones yeah for sure i loved it i also like you like you mentioned patrick the visual style it, it it really looks different than any comic book movie i've ever seen i mean even when you watch a movie like super super is probably the closest in terms of like the visual style but 
you know, that that is a film directed by James Gunn, but a low independent indie, like a low budget indie film. So it doesn't clearly have the budget of this movie. It's maybe the closest, but I really do dig the visual style. Like it looks kind of grimy. It has that grindhouse feel to it. It looks like it's shot on like film, but it's not. I mean, it's like, I mean, maybe even like Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez grindhouse would be the closest we've come to seeing something like this on the big screen in the past like 20 years. But also, and I'm I'm, I'm surprised Simon hasn't mentioned this because you're like the music guy. The soundtrack is incredible. Like talk about deep mm. deep cuts right like no you don't <laughs> think so i do I, I like how it opens up with the johnny cash song which perfectly matches michael rooker's character in the prison and the whole idea of having the bird open up it, and it represents like freedom and then clearly he kills the bird when he realizes that he's never going to be free and then you have like uh the song for king shark which is not um a licensed song it's actually like composed from by the actual composer right it's made for the movie but it sounds exactly like the song the major theme from rosemary's baby um i re i mean i the the jim carroll band needle drop obviously for the opening credits is great i love that and i mean Folsom prison is fine it's i don't know I, some of them were really obvious and others were just not just songs i did not like i really did not like the um the fratelli's song that plays over like a, a, a key Harley Quinn sequence. I don't, I actually, to be honest, the, the soundtrack was a huge letdown for me. I feel like this was such an opportunity to, uh, to throw in some really cool stuff. And most of it just really didn't land other than the, other than the stuff at the beginning. Really? I completely disagree. You get a bit of pixies. You get some artists I've never even heard of. Uh, like I thought the sound, maybe it's cause you're just like, you're a walking encyclopedia when it comes to like music. Yeah. But... I'm just, I'm a picky little bitch about this stuff. Honestly, yeah, most, I go. think for most people it's perfectly, it's just like, uh, it's just like Patrick with the, with, with the, with the chronology stuff. It's just our personal little nitpicks. Yes. Like I the music was fine to me. I didn't notice it being extraordinary and I didn't notice it being bad. <laughs> But sometimes, sometimes I recognize a song, and sometimes I didn't. And but, uh, but but I thought the music was so important to the film because it's like I feel like he chose the music first before going into the editing room because it's all perfectly paced and it syncs up to the actual soundtrack. And I don't know, like I always talk about this, how sound music it it it, it gets that emotion from from the audience, from the viewers, not so much the visuals. And and I think that the soundtrack really just helps make the movie more pleasant to watch and just really fun. I mean, there are times where this movie is really violent. And if you replace the soundtrack with like a really eerie sort of like, I don't know, horror like movie score, or just change the music in general, you could have a completely different vibe. The music really just helps set the tone. There's no question. It does. I think it does a good job of, of keeping the tone light and fluffy. And, and because yeah, the, I agree the, with that. Yeah. The soundtrack's varied, but I never thought it was like played any, you know, emotional importance in the, in the movie. I think James Gunn's soundtracks are, I don't know, like the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff to me. I don't know that he's a master at choosing soundtracks, but he certainly knows how to, to to keep things light and to keep things, you know, brisk. And I think these soundtracks reflect that. I don't think there's any emotional significance uh, for me in anything that he's ever picked in any of, the, any of his movies. Um, because I think a lot of his movies are in many ways just a giant wink, wink off anyway. So... Like it, it, you don't really need to. There, there's, there's very little depth, at least in, from what I've seen of what he's done. Uh, which, I have to say, which is not uh, a criticism, by the way. That's just fine. For me, I think besides the sort of structural games and the way it's, uh, it is genuinely light, light on its feet, as you were saying, Patrick. 
the other principal reason that I think the film works as well as it does is because it's, I don't know if it's perfectly cast, but it's pretty close. It's I mean, pretty for, damn for, close. for how the char- I mean, some of the characters are less interesting than others as written, but as cast, I mean, it's basically ideal. And I have to say, this is the most I've, I, I've I've been following Idris Elba a long time, obviously since like The Wire, and this is the most I've ever liked him in a film. He is a huge improvement over over Will Smith playing this character. This character was is still the most boring character probably in the movie, but he does a great job of making it almost it, like I mean, almost interesting. His his job in this movie is to look cool, be mm-hmm. cool, and uh, and have a good beleaguered face. And let me tell you. Idris Elba is really, really good <laughs> at looking cool. I mean, he he's just one of the like, I don't know if either of you have ever heard his rapping. He's not a very he's not like a particularly great rapper. He just coasts on how fucking cool he is, which is what you should do if you're Idris Elba. And this movie n- understands that. But, you know, his character is so similar to Will Smith's character in the original film. Even like the way the movie opens up, the fact that he's in prison, the fact that he has a daughter, the fact that they use the daughter to get him to do what they need him to do, like it's so similar to the opening. As and written. So, yeah. As written, yes. But, but Will Smith, I still think, is really good in the role. I think the problem with that movie, and we're not going to review it today, it, it has to do, it has a lot to do with studio interference. But either way, it's complete, it's two completely different films in terms of like tone and vibe. And I do agree with you that the cast makes the movie. Like, we can rave about the cinematography, the production values, the soundtrack, the direction. But at the end of the day, it's the cast. Like, you got to like the cast. And, you know, I think you're right. I think he has the most, quote unquote, boring character to play. Like, he's a straight man. I still think he's incredibly likable. But he's not as fun to watch as John Cena or Sylvester Stallone. No, but he is likable enough, and that's what I found yeah. to be very impressive. Like, I, you, they took what essentially is not a great character for a movie, and he or Idris Elba did, and made him into a likable enough character. I didn't get annoyed when he was on screen, and that to me is a huge victory with that character. Because <laughs> otherwise, yeah. I mean, it's just not written exactly with any sort of flash. Everybody else gets all the funny stuff to do. I have to say, to me, the most boring character, uh, as much as I do like... I have liked Joel Kinnaman a lot in a couple things, but man, I was quite. I, Rick Flag was definitely the least essential component. Well, of, like, the he's even worse in the previous film. I, yeah. Oh, is he? Yeah, I mean that's just his character. Even the comic, he's like he's like a throwaway character. He he is what he is. He's actually pretty damn good in this movie. Given you know, like the thing about this movie is that this is the most human the Suicide Squad's ever been, both on on film and on paper. Like, even when you read the original comic book, like, they're never this human. Like, you actually get to know who these characters are. You get a bit of backstory. He, I mean, look, I don't think he's going to be missed. You know, the guy does, I mean, he does die at the end of the film. He dies, right? Like, there's going to be no he's, sort of, like, he's dead. bring him back to life. Okay. They, I mean, yeah. they, I mean, I, look, it's it's a comics adaptation. They can do whatever the fuck they want. They can. But, You're of right. Of course, yes. But, but the, the weird thing about this film is it exists in a strange space between remake and sequel. Because it never mentions the original, and it looks, sounds, and feels totally different from the previous film. But it doesn't erase what happened in the previous movie. So it kind of is a sequel. And Viola yeah. Davis is uh, is the same character, right? And well, yeah, so is, is Margot Robbie. And so she's Margot clearly Robbie, yeah. in the Birds of Prey film. 
Well, I think it also assumes that you kind of know what the setup is because the movie just kicks into high gear immediately. It doesn't go through the normal process of like establishing what is the Suicide Squad and like going through every different, you know, where the, the, the prison warden walks to every cell. This is Harley Quinn, blah, blah, blah. Here's her backstory. Um, you know, it doesn't do that. It just sort of like starts and just assumes you know what's going on. You know, a bunch of people get on a plane. They get dropped off at a mission. Most of them die. And it's like, oh. Okay. I mean, it's pretty much a remake of the Dirty Dozen for like the first forty-five minutes of the film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like uh, for the. I, I also then, had the wait, thought... wait, and then then it turns into Ghostbusters at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. That's, you're ab- That's absolutely right. This movie made me realize that I no longer need Mark Wahlberg because I have John Cena, and he's <laughs> just as good at in the in in that type of role as Mark Wahlberg, and I don't have to deal with the baggage of him being Mark Wahlberg. I like it. <laughs> I was pretty impressed by John Cena, actually. Uh, I don't know if that's just good direction or what, but he was getting. Oh, he's to... he's genuinely good. He's got natural comic timing. Uh, yeah. He's obviously got a wonderful physical presence, and he's able to carry off the stuff that feels more menacing when that has to happen, uh, and that's not easy. And it was a great great character for someone like him to play. I, yeah, uh, that that character was was uh... a, a, a murderous himbo. That's exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like a like, like a sort of. Like almost like the way Dolph Lundgren is used in the Universal Soldier movie we were talking about, just like a like a like a sca- like a sometimes scary himbo. I like yeah. it. As a huge fan of wrestling, man, John Cena rocks. He's like he's one of the greatest wrestlers for a reason. It's not just because of his in-ring ability. It's because of his charisma, his acting, his personality. I mean, the the dude is money. I mean, him, The Rock, like these guys, they they move past the wrestling business into Hollywood for a reason. And he's going to be huge. Like they have a, a HBO TV show that 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 they that they are producing revolving around his character. Yeah, Peacemaker's getting a show. I'm actually looking forward to that. I mean, b- before the film, I heard that there was going to be a spinoff series. I was like, ah, uh, spinoffs, whatever. But now I'm like, you know what? I'll watch that. It could be something akin to The Boys if they sort of keep it along those lines of like, he's he's totally messed up and then they keep it really violent. It could be all right. Well, and there are parts of this film that do feel like a TV pilot, to be honest. Um, and I, I'm not even necessarily saying that in a bad way, but like by the time you get to the the third or fourth character introduction where they're like explaining their backstory, especially by the time you get to rat catcher two's backstory, I think yes. where, it, yes. you know, you have this Jean-Pierre Genet movie playing on the side of the, on the side of the bus explaining this whole thing, which it was a stylistic touch. I actually did really like, um, you're, it does start to feel a little bit like you're like, okay, they're setting up a TV series here. I'm telling you, this is such a beautiful movie. I need to watch it again. I cried like <laughs> three times watching this film. Really? Sure. Really? No, not really, but I want to. <laughs> I, I like those backstories. Yeah, anyway, we'll get into that later when on. When the weasel died, I mean, <laughs> he doesn't actually die, but when we thought he died, I was like, no, you just killed off my favorite character. I was so upset. <laughs> and I mean, I, I, we, haven't, we haven't even talked about Harley Quinn. Like, she is a star in this film. Like, she's the star of the previous film. She's the star of Birds of Prey. She steals the show. She's incredible in the role. Well, and I like that they that they clearly made an effort to steer clear of like damsel in distress type shit, uh, and and to sort of subvert that to some extent, which I thought was done in a way that was classy and like not too, uh, not too on the nose. Oh yeah, uh, and, that, I, and just having the them character. meet up afterwards was was cool. Yes, and you're right; it does it fits the character. You can't have Harley Quinn be a damsel in distress. 
And the way that they handled her whole thing was great. The way she met up with them afterwards and the, the way that she interacts with all these people and her sort of her place in the world. Uh, I think he handled all that really well. And I'm not sure how much of that is script and how much is Margot Robbie. I got to believe a lot of that is Margot Robbie. Because when I think about yes. some of those words on paper, they could be read in so, so many more boring ways. And she finds a way to make almost every line of dialogue that that character says be funny or interesting or have some kind of texture that uh, that you were not expecting. Well, so, she's the best thing about the previous film. So I'm assuming yeah. a lot of it has to do with her performance because every everyone else in that movie, their performance falls flat. Like none of it makes any sense, which I know we can blame the editors in the studio, but still her performance still stood out even after the studio interference. Yeah, there's something about her line readings that uh, they're just, they're off and they, uh, they're they very fresh, they feel. Fresh. So Simon, I just got to know, like, going back to the soundtrack once again, and specifically the score, like, I'm a huge fan of John Murphy. This is the man who did the soundtrack for 28 Days Later, Sunshine. I love the music in this movie. Again, the theme song for King Shark, it sounds exactly like a theme song for Rosemary's Baby. It's so, so, so good. Uh, I like this. I mean, to be honest, the score didn't hit me that much, which is probably a compliment because usually I, the, especially these days, as and especially with uh, blockbuster stuff like that, where there's a lot going on aesthetically already, I tend to only notice, especially scoring, if it's bad. So maybe that's a good sign. Yeah, I, I don't remember the theme from this movie, but uh, that also I doesn't didn't really. It, everything seemed fine. Nothing seemed out of place. And for me, like watching one of these superhero movies, that that's one of the things that you want right off the bat. And then the rest of the movie was just so much different than other superhero movies. This was a nice breath of fresh air from Marvel. Uh, it was, you know, it was even a breath of fresh air from something like Deadpool, which obviously, you know, isn't, wasn't mm. a Marvel movie. That was a 20th century Fox movie, but, uh, but it still well, that... has even more style than a movie like that had. That movie had the, the crude humor and the, you know, the violence and the, you know, trying to surprise you all the time and fourth wall breaking and everything. This movie has a little more going on with the visuals. I think that help it a lot has that same attitude though. And I'm so glad there's no fourth wall breaking bullshit. Honestly, it's, yeah. I like that the movie is committed to its own universe and like it, the people in the universe take it seriously. Um, and that's all I need. I just, but the, the whole, the, the Deadpool thing does not appeal to me at all. Well, that's his character in the comics. I mean, I know, I know it's just, comics. yeah, it's, it's, just, what are you going to do? Right. <laughs> it is capital N capital F capital M not for me. <laughs> right. It, it should be noted that the previous movie was under the banner, the DC banner. So yep. this movie is made by Warner brothers. So completely different people behind the scenes. I mean, they took, I, I don't think they took a big chance in hiring James Gunn because of his whole Twitter debacle. I thought that was like blown out of proportion. I think everyone agrees on that at this point. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's like a, a major loss for Marvel Studios, to be honest. And I can't wait to see what they do next. Like, so I was watching the movies that made a season two this week. And it was um, they had two episodes. One revolved around Forrest Gump and one revolved around Jurassic Park. Both great episodes. Right. But I was thinking about the, these two movies. So Jurassic Park. And I was thinking about like how that was such a game changer in terms of like changing like visual effects, CGI, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And how that's been a blessing and a curse. And then I looked at Forrest Gump and that movie, along with Pulp Fiction, it changed movie making moving forward in terms of how major studios are more willing to spend money on soundtracks. Because that's like the Forrest Gump soundtrack is like the, I think, the biggest selling soundtrack of all time. Like they made just as much money on the soundtrack as they did in the actual film. Right. And I'm watching this film and I'm like, 
could this movie have existed the way it does now without those two movies? And the answer mm. is no. And the reason why I bring up the movies that made us is because I think in 10 years time, you can make an episode based on the making of this film, because I think the actual making of the movie itself is so interesting, like how James Gunn moved from Marvel working under the Disney brand and then came to Warner Brothers to sort of like save a dying franchise and maybe help DC actually do something great with their cinematic universe. And I'll be really interested to see where this leads moving forward and how it changes movies moving forward, like the way Jurassic Park and Forrest Gump change Hollywood. I think to, to my mind, whether or not it changes anything about how movies are made, I don't take any position on that. I, I think to my mind, it'll probably just be a solid hit that lets James Gunn keep making movies uh, at the very least anyway. But I do think that it's as a I think in 20 years, you could definitely revisit this movie and it would tell you a lot, a lot about the current cultural moment in terms of like our relationship with this sort of entertainment and people's appetite for violence and people's uh, feelings about the value of human life and many other things. I mean, I think as a text for our time or whatever, that may sound heavy, but I, I actually think you can learn a lot from light entertainment. Uh, well, about... the fact that there's a giant starfish like roaming yes. around and <laughs> it's, it's yeah. alien life form, which by the way, every time you're on TikTok these days, every second video, it's, it's, a, it's a video where someone captures a UFO flying above them. <laughs> The first, I think... the first part of your sentence. Every time you guys are on TikTok, you lost me right there. <laughs> yeah, that all that time I spend just sitting around on TikTok. Uh, but no, anyway, I, 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 I like and respect the movie. I have some problems with it that we haven't. That we'll, I'm sure we'll get into when we get into the our, our questions. But uh, overall, a sound and a, a solid entertainment that I was happy to I, watch. I, I just want to say that I still think that this is like two films. Like I think you have the Dirty Dozen sort of like inspiration at the start and then you have like the creature feature towards the end it mm. doesn't really feel like a superhero movie at all no i think you're right it's it's got a ghostbusters feel towards the end and then but it's got uh, it's definitely dirty does in the beginning which is what the, the 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 first version of this was trying to be like um no it's it's a, it's a good mix and it's goofy <laughs> at the end like a Ghostbusters. Although, and when we go after the break, I'm going to suggest that possibly it could have been goofier. Yeah. Well, um, you know, you know, the starfish character is actually from the comics and it's one of, I, I want to say it's like a big, huge villain, but it's sort of important in, in, in the history of DC comics because it's the reason why the justice league was formed. Yeah. I had read somewhere the starfish is in there too. I guess I, my, my whole thing with this movie is like, it's, it's so close to being a spoof of superhero movies that I wish it would have gone all the way, but it didn't. And it tries to be serious and make you care about the characters. And I thought that was like, that, that to me was the biggest flaw in the movie. Um, I think it would have been interesting. I think more interesting, even though it's a good movie, good movie would have been more interesting if they, he went into all out spoof territory and really, really made these characters and situations ridiculous. Um, but yeah, we can get into some of that after the break. Uh, before that, here's another clip from the Suicide Squad. Robert Dubois. He's in prison for putting Superman in the ICU with a kryptonite bullet. I'm not joining your Suicide Squad. We'll see. My court date is coming up. And Miss Waller said maybe you could help me out. You're stretching in my door! Everyone stand down. Miss Waller, I don't- Stand down! I wouldn't take such extreme measures if this mission weren't more important than you could possibly imagine. Are you in or out? Good. 
Let's meet your team. It's okay, I'm not okay. Each member is chosen for his or her own completely unique set of abilities. I need to feel the raindrops on my head, on my head. Hey guys, sorry I'm late. Had to go number two. Good to know. Is this thing a dog? A dog? What kind of dog do you think it is, mate? I'm gonna go with Afghan hound. Oh my god, is it a werewolf? Yo, they sent me next to a werewolf! Yo, let me out! Hey, hey, he's not a werewolf, okay? He's a weasel. He's harmless. I mean, he's not harmless. He's killed 27 children, but, you know. Your mission is to destroy every trace of something known only as Project Starfish. Any questions? Starfish is a slang term for a butthole. Think there's any connection? All right, that was another clip from the Suicide Squad. We have reached the portion of the podcast where we ask our five questions. They may go a little bit different this time around, but uh, not too far off. Um, we always like to start off positive. I think we've been overall positive on this movie. We have been overall positive on this movie. Come on, who could really have that much to say horrible about the Suicide Squad? But that being said, Simon, what was your favorite scene? I think um, to to me, there weren't a lot of like individual sequences where I was blown away, but I do think um, the sequence that does the most for the movie. And I think there's a reason it's placed basically exactly at the midway point is uh, the bar sequence where they all just hang out and dance around. I love that the movie takes time for that. And I think that that scene alone and all that with all its goofy little details and the way it, it, the way it takes its time and actually just hangs out there for a couple minutes does so much for this movie. I'm so glad you mentioned that scene. I think that's the most relatable scene in the film because everyone who's ever worked anywhere knows that as soon as you go out with your coworkers, your relationship changes. Like as soon as you go to a bar, you go to Sanka set, you get some Mm. drinks, go out with your coworkers, your relationship changes and that is when they actually formed as a real team in a unit. I totally agree. Great scene. It's also, like you said, right at the midpoint, the peak, and then the descent starts after that. Um, everything goes downhill. So Tons of cameos, too, by the way. Did you notice Lloyd Kaufman's in the film? And I did not know this. I, I noticed Lloyd Kaufman, but what's-her-face from Guardians of the Galaxy makes an appearance, too. Yes, I heard about that. Yeah. Although I haven't seen either of the Guardians of the Galaxies, I did hear about the cameo. Which what's-her-face? <laughs> that could be a lot of people yeah zoe zeldana she plays gamora she's in the oh. film she makes a cameo appearance i did not see her there's but, tons uh, of cameo appearances like even the guy who who wrote the original um suicide squad book he plays one of the doctors which i didn't know i found out later after reading about the movie but there's a few cameos i did notice though okay a lot a lot of the uh the side characters are actually villains from the comic book there's one i i I knew right away was from the Superboy comic and Booster Gold, who's like one of my favorite heroes from DC Comics. There's a villain from the Booster Gold series also that makes an appearance. Tons of Easter eggs. Okay. Um, I was sad to see Flu Borg get killed off so soon, but whatever. Um, All right, Rick, what was your favorite scene? Wow, this is tough. So, I... God, there's so many great scenes in this film. I think... I'm going to cheat here. My... I think the the funniest scene, the scene that had me laughing the most was the Milton scene because I had no clue who Milton was. So I was just as confused as Harley Quinn. 
<laughs> I could oh. not stop laughing. I could not stop laughing. I'm like, who is Milton? I was like, wasn't that dude's name Carlos? For some reason, I thought his name was Carlos. <laughs> so I was on the floor laughing my ass off at that scene. But I think like my favorite scene is actually the scene when King Shark comes to the aquarium. He arrives at the aquarium and he sees all these like weird killer sort of like jellyfish. I'm not sure what these fish were. And he thinks that he's made like a bunch of friends with these fish. And that, Simon, is when we get the John Murphy score and the music, the theme for King Shark sounds exactly like the theme song for Rosemary's Baby. So the combination of the music and and the moment where King Shark thinks he finally met some like aquatic friends only to discover that the fish try to eat him afterwards, like five minutes later. This is genuinely Sylvester Stallone's best role and performance, non-Rocky division, uh, in the last like 30 years. <laughs> oh, Rambo? John Rambo? No, no la- yeah, last 30 years. No good Rambo movies in the last 30 years. Oh, yeah, what, the fourth one is in the last 30 years. That movie's awesome. The one where he goes to uh, Burma. Uh, no, uh, uh, no, I, I only have room in my heart for one Rambo movie and that's first blood, baby. <laughs> I'll take John Rambo and first blood. Um, but Stallone's had some other stuff. Copland. Okay. Copland. Like Copland. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I forgot about cop. Okay. Copland can stay, but since cop. Okay. Let's say since Copland, his best role <laughs> since Copland. Definitely. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, the one that the only one that maybe this wasn't a laugh out loud movie to me. This is sort of a laugh quietly to myself movie. Um, but I did laugh out loud at one scene. And that was when Harley Quinn is like uh, getting romanced by that El Presidente. And she ends up shooting him in the end because he talks about, <laughs> about experimenting on kids or something like that. And I think the line that she says was... Uh, I've had a, something about how in the past I've had to look out for a lot of red flags with the boys that I date and, and killing kids is a red flag. But the way she said it, it could have been said so stupidly and then the joke didn't land at all. But she actually seems to be struggling with it. So it, it ended up being kind of funny. I liked that whole that whole romance and her uh, blowing him away. I, I'm actually surprised you don't think this movie is really funny. I think this is like the funniest movie I've seen all year. Well, I said it's funny to me, but it wasn't laugh out loud funny to me. Dude, you didn't laugh out loud when the freaking weasel starts drowning? No, but to be fair, though, like this sort of humor is more like chuckle to myself humor. Like I- it's too it's so smarmy that I rarely am going to be caught off guard by it. Like I'm always expecting a quip. So the, if uh, it's clever, I'll have a nice little in- inward smile. And if it's not clever, I'll just roll my eyes and move on. But I have a question for you. Okay, so. When you watch horror films, like people always say it's scary. And I always say, well, I don't, I'm not actually scared. Like there are moments where I can jump. It's usually because of like sound cues, right? Like the noise, right? Like it startles you. But then when I watch comedies, people always ask like, was it funny? Did you laugh? And I'm like, I'm like you, like most of the time I just sort of like chuckle to myself or laugh inside, but I am like sort of like laughing, but it's, it's rare that I actually laughed out loud, but this movie I did a few times including when John Cena shows up in his like underwear for no reason, which I thought was so funny. I don't know why because it, it just surprised me. It came out of nowhere. So. Well, that's where the best humor comes from, right? Where you're completely caught off guard. Um, and, and again, I think this is a funny movie. I'm not like down on this just because I didn't laugh out loud all that much, but, but I always enjoy when I do laugh out loud at something, I tend to remember it. And 
that's why I ended up picking that scene because it was one of the, it was a moment that for some reason, and humor's weird, right? Like we all get caught off guard by the strangest damn things. Um, but that caught me off guard. And I, I like that. I have to say, I think for me, the funniest moment or scene in the film was the first reveal of what Polka Dot Man sees. Oh, um, sure. Oh, the that, mom, yeah. that, that I really liked. I mean, they return to that gag a couple more times. It's a good gag, but it's never as good as it is that first time. Uh, it's pretty good when you see the giant version of his mom That's like, not bad. tearing up it's the not city. Bad. It's a good payoff, I would say. It's because it's not as funny because you're not, you know, you're expecting it at that point. But, yeah, but, uh, that, but that, that's that's why you made a really good a really good observation. Like like horror films, the best gags are things that you don't expect. Like that's what makes you yeah. laugh. Whereas when you watch a horror film, you jump when you don't expect the actual like sound. Right. So that's why I mean you don't have to. Good horror films can make somebody jump without that little jarring noise. I mean I've sat and watched Jaws with many many people, and when that head pops out of you know the boat when Hooper is down there. I have seen more people. There is not a sound cue. It is actually silent for a little bit, and then the sound comes up. But uh, people jump at that head before the sound ever kicks in. So that's good filmmaking in my mind. The jump scare, the sound jump scares is too easy. Uh, so I don't really even count that as being something scary. Yeah, well, I mean, look at Jurassic Park, the kitchen sequence. I mean, Steven Spielberg is a master of suspense. Like, you figure he should make horror films. Yeah. But in this movie, like, again... I think this is a funny movie. I have already recommended it to people. I think it's like it's super entertaining. I think it's a it's the the actors are funny. I just uh, I didn't laugh out as loud, you know, laugh out loud all that much. But that doesn't mean anything to me. That doesn't mean I didn't enjoy the movie. I enjoyed the movie a lot. Well, Simon mentioned that it's a perfect cast or nearly a perfect cast, and I agree because of the chemistry between the cast. Yeah. Like that is also important, and it's it's worth noting that James Gunn not only directed the movie but he wrote the screenplay. And, and I think it's, it's like, I don't know that I would call this a great screenplay, but the actors sell these things. Like, it is great casting, because they sell these lines. As I was saying, with that Margot Robbie, like, her whole, that whole scene that's my favorite, like, that could have been read many, many different ways that would not have been very entertaining. And I can see a lot of actors reading those lines, giving line readings that were not going to be funny at all, even though they'd be trying to be funny. But she found ways to say these lines that actually brings the humor out of them. And whether that's partially on James Gunn's direction, partially on her great performance, I don't know. But uh, the cast, I think, does bring a lot to this. We were talking about John Cena. Like, he obviously brings, he does bring good comic timing. Um, all right. If there was one thing that you could change, Rick, what would it be? Wow. I don't know if I would change anything. I really like this film. Nothing. You changed not a single frame of this movie. I'm not entirely sure why they kill off the second batch of birds. Is that related to Birds of Prey? Like, I was just like, I didn't get the joke. Something to do with, there's obviously a bird theme in this movie. They like killing birds in this movie. I'm not sure why. I'm a big, I, I am a bird fan, to tell you the truth. So I didn't, <laughs> I thought that was kind of mean to burn those birds to death. <laughs> Sometimes when I watch movies, I actually think about these questions. But for some reason, I didn't think about this question when watching a movie. And I've seen the movie twice this week. Mm -hmm. So maybe go to Simon and come back to me. Yeah. Okay. All right. What do you got, Simon? You got something. I know you got something. I do. Um, in general, I'm just not wild about the Corto Maltese setting. 
Like I, I, the the jungle. I mean, the fact that there's so much of it in the jungle, et cetera, is, is et cetera, is fine, perfectly, perfectly fitting for an action movie like this, an, an ensemble action movie. Um, I just the movie does something where it tries to the the one semi serious thing in the movie thematically is kind of this underlying theme of like American exceptionalism or Pax Americana or whatever. Interesting timing since uh, now it seems like Pax Americana is over, uh, but we don't have to, we're, we're not going to talk about that on this podcast. <laughs> um, but um, which I kind of, I, I like that that was in the mix just because these movies, I, I, I say that only because in general, these movies have absolutely nothing on their mind, you know, superhero movies about yeah. the wider world. So like, I, I don't mind that there is something for a change just as a bit of flavor. Of course. But, but it kind of tries to have its cake and eat it too, where we get the sequence where, um, where our our swashbuckling heroes show up and murder a village of non-combatants mostly, um, and it is it is played as them being you know craven, uh, craven western invaders or whatever you know like clearly not the good guys, um, which I think is executed relatively well, but it clashes with the actual portrayal of both the rebels and sort of the, the militarized government where it's so stereotyped that like, I don't know, it was a weird, the tonal thematic clash there did not work for me personally. Uh, And I think also that lets you, if you change up that setting, it lets you off the hook for the, to what was to me the least compelling aspect of the whole climax, which is the, we're having a fight on a collapsing tower thing, which can we just please no more collapsing towers in uh, at the climaxes of superhero movies. I I'm, I'm sick to death of collapsing towers. It's a great excuse for characters to do things that they would never be able to do ever. And to have some CGI in there. <laughs> so I, you don't, I it's, don't, it's, it's not an interesting setting for your action climax. No, I'm sorry. Not at all. And there's, there's nothing interesting to, to be done in, in a collapsing tower. So uh, if they, I could airlift, if I could like airlift the entire movie and move it to a, a different, more interesting setting with a different, more interesting and more novel sort of set of tropes and characters to be pulling from on the side, much as I do like uh, the sequence that you described, uh, Patrick, with, um, with Margot Robbie and, the, and the, the rebel prince or whatever you want to call him. Yeah. Um, that that stuff is great. Uh, I would I would just extract that somehow, put it in a more interesting and novel overall setting. Uh, yeah, my like, my enjoyment of that scene did not depend on him being El Presidente. It was indeed, yeah. It, it had more to do with all the other interactions that they had, and it, he literally could have been anybody. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but that's I mean, really, that's that's my that and the movie just generally being a bit too long uh, was really my only my only complaint. All right, so what I would change, I think I alluded to this already, is I would. Every single like little speech, oh, my father used to p- put me in a box of rats, and that's why I'm scared of rats. And oh, my dog, like his, I don't, I didn't care one single bit about uh, whatever is, I, I can't remember what is the interceptless character's name. This is how yeah, little Stringer I, Bell. Yeah, this is how little I care about the characters, by the way, which the movie is setting up for you. Like they're setting you up to not care. But I didn't care about his daughter. I didn't care about the rat catcher girl's dad. I didn't care about any of the emotional stuff that was going on. If you're not playing it for laughs, get it out of this movie because it doesn't work and it's clumsily handled. I thought the end with like the whole betrayal by the by the uh, Viola Davis character with with the uh, flag and everything like that was so ham fisted and bungled. It was that was laughable. It was a I almost laughed out loud when he felt so betrayed by by Peacemaker and like oh 
I got to get this this message out to the entire world that we're so bad. Like, did you know who you worked for? You've been working for Sadie mm. forever. How stupid do you want to make these characters? That to me was such a ham fist. Just get that crap out of this movie. Like, I, Simon, I'm actually I agree with you that it's kind of nice when a movie can be about something. But I thought in this particular case, the movie bungles it so much that uh, that they should have just got it out of there. Like, yeah. wipe well, that I, out. Get rid I of it. I think. That's connected. To, I mean, I don't agree about all that. I think some of the backstory stuff is fine and uh, and nicely rendered, but I do think that um, the, the the whole sub the, the the set of sub characters led by Alice Braga and like their quest to get the truth out or whatever is like it is an awkward fit here in terms of like trying to not uh, tr- thinking that 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 there's some sanctity there, but there's like none elsewhere. It's a weird bit, kind of balance there that he's trying to pull and i i appreciate him going for it but it didn't quite work for me yeah i think for me anytime james gunn tries to do anything with any sincere emotion he fails um oh, so yeah. well, that's that's taking it too far you go you go too far patrick no no I, I i don't mean this is a like an overall like again don't don't hate the guy but i think when he yeah. tries to do things like that he's just that's not in his that's not his forte let's put it that way um, he, <laughs> I didn't care literally about any one of these characters except for maybe Harley Quinn. And I have a feeling that it's everything to do with Margot Robbie. But other than that, any one of them could have died. I wouldn't have been disappointed at all. I never was like, oh no, let's hope that the, the heroes actually make it, even though they're not heroes. The movie is setting me, as I said, the movie sets you up to not care. And I feel like it's breaking its own rules, like to then try to force me to care about these people with these generic backstories just uh, just feels like it feels like wussing out. And that's where I was going to say that I wish that he would have gone full on spoof. I wish this would have been more like Zucker Abrams territory where he just made a spoof of of this kind of movie and nothing was sacred. But unfortunately, he keeps in some of the sacred elements and that may have maybe the studio was it would have would have been too afraid to have it go into full-on spoof territory but i think that those moments hurt the movie and they like for me they drag it down i, I think he made exactly character. the movie he wanted to make I think well oh, made, if that's the case then like yeah. I, like again i i found the same thing to be in the guardians uh, guardians movies when he tries to be sincere and have you care about the characters those movies are at their worst um and same thing here I just don't think he's very good at it. I think it, it feels shoehorned in every time he does it. Uh, I thought I thought the same thing in Slither, right? Like, there, it's just stick to the comedy. Like you're basically making, you're making a joke. So don't try to like <laughs> inject it with something else. That's that's my thought. I I but I want to stress this. Those moments are so rare that it, again did not disrupt the enjoyment of my movie i just think that, that like if i had one criticism about this movie if i could remove one thing i remember thinking while i was watching it boy i really wish he would have gone for it here i wish he'd make fun of the backstories i wish he would like make those into jokes as opposed to trying to actually make them serious uh, i thought it would have helped the movie a lot more if he would have just no, made I, everything i think at that ridiculous. point that's where you're really more into deadpool territory and that's that's where i check out Okay. Honestly, I need some level of seriousness. I think. Well, I mean, if in a movie internally. like this in Suicide Squad, I mean, the movie is a joke. It's it's a joke, and he's in Deadpool territory. He just doesn't go far enough. I mean, you don't need to. I don't. I'm not saying you need to break the fourth wall and things like that. But you could make. You're not taking serious subjects seriously. So why take other serious subjects seriously? Like these Baxters. Like I don't care what what her relationship with her dad was. People are getting their faces ripped off, and I'm supposed to be laughing at that. 
So why do I really care at all what went on like with your rat catcher dad? I just think that it's funny that there's such a contrast there where you're supposed to mock certain very serious things and then other serious things I'm supposed to think like, oh, that's so that's so touching. Um, for me, it's a style that doesn't work at all. Um, I'm always confused when people say they don't care about characters. I, I think I get what you're saying. Because like, when I watch movies, I, I'm not saying I care about, say, Bloodsport in the sense that I feel sad because his daughter may, might go to prison. Or I feel sad because Weasel might have died. But I care about the characters in a sense that if there is a sequel or they continue to franchise... I would like to see John Cena in the sequel. I would like to see Bloodsport in the sequel because they're fun characters. Mm-hmm. I get what you're saying. I think the thing is, is that especially with characters like Bloodsport and Ratcatcher, and even to some extent Harley Quinn, I think they are setting up sort of like a cinematic universe. I mean, we do have a cinematic universe. I mean, just with the Suicide Squad, there's already three films that revolve around these characters. And now we have a TV show. And I think... They're also doing one more movie, I think. I could be wrong. but So I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I think it's such a minor nitpick because, like you said, it's so few and far between. Yes. Mm, I, I that may have come off like a negative rant, like I don't like this movie. That is not the case. I, I, I had a lot of fun in this movie. That, but, that's but I, the one I, thing I would change. That's but, all. But that's all. I, I like the way it wraps up in the end when she or her dad, you know, she delivers the little speech and she recites what her dad said about the rats and how they all have purpose. Because I think that's the point. Like, they're expendable at the start of the film. They are not even friends and they do form as a unit and do form as somewhat of a, a family, even if that sounds corny. And they all do serve a purpose in the film. Most of them do die. And I think I would have a problem with that if some of the characters didn't die because of the type of film it is and the type of squad they are. Like, they're a suicide squad. So, anyhow, I don't, I still do not know what I would change, though. You've you've had lots of time to think about it. We've been talking. I I don't really think I would change anything. There we go. Question answered. Because I feel wow. like if you make one change, it could have a ripple effect, and it could affect the the, the entire film. So interesting. Uh, is that the first time that's ever happened? But that's true of any movie, of course. So you basically think that this is a perfect movie? No, I don't think it's a perfect movie. I just think that if I like, if I were to remove the whole like the the, the rebels, for example, well, we would be missing that scene in which they invade the camp and kill everyone, which, which I thought was like a really well directed. And clever sequence, and I wouldn't want to remove that, but I would have to remove it if I remove those characters. No, as an, as an isolated sequence, I think it works very well, but the actual characters themselves, once they show up in that general setting, just did not work for me. But you see, I like the setting. I, I, what I did not like was I did not like the uber CGI shots of Harley Quinn running from mm, the building yes. that's collapsing. So I oh. agree with the tower. Yeah. Like having a tower that collapses in a superhero movie is a bit redundant. So maybe we can change that. I don't think it's a, a, a perfect film, but I think it's it's pretty much almost maybe what James Gunn wanted it to be. So maybe I would remove the tower, change the setting. But I, I, I do like the fact that they they do shoot in that country. I just I just I, I could not help but think that that was such an eyesore. Like that tower yeah. was such an eyesore. The um. 
the se- second run- runner-up thing that I would change, uh, Peter Capaldi wasted. He got nothing to do. He just he wears some weird shit on his head and walks around. Come on, give the man more to do. He's, <laughs> I was he's, expecting he's, more out of the brain guy. Uh, I can't remember what his name was either. Oh, but, brain uh, guy. Thinker. The, the thinker, the thinker. That's what it was, yeah. I was expecting more of him. I thought he was going to have a much bigger, something clever to do. They, he never really got to show off his brain power. Yeah. I think the and that's another problem with the sort of the the military the the uh, the, the what's the name of the fake country? Uh, it was like the uh, Corto Maltese, the Corto, Corto Maltese yeah. uh, military or whatever. They ate into his uh, what should have been a lot more of the Peter Capaldi show because that guy rocks. Yeah, he could have been the villain, right? And maybe he wanted to avoid that because he looks like a supervillain. And okay, <laughs> yeah, maybe he just wanted to make you know the the military the bad guys, but. Still, it, it it sort of left his character with very little to do. Uh, I did like his his death scene. Uh, his his yes, begs that's for mercy. <laughs> but uh, all right, so MVP guys, Simon, uh, who's yours? Uh, and again, I really think I I really prefer to think of this question as who is your MVP besides the auteur, if there is one. That to me is the full name of this question because it's just boring to pick James Gunn. He wrote and directed it. Blah blah blah. So. If James Gunn is off the table, um, then I have to say I kind of I'm torn between two members of the ensemble, so I'm going to give it to both of them because they don't share any scenes, but they were the, they were the characters who I thought had the most fun performances, and fun is sort of the entire point of a movie like that, uh, like this rather. And those two people are uh, David Desmachian as Polka Dot Man and Viola Davis, uh, who I just think are they really eat the either of them like they they both they're fairly one note characters for the most part other than the sort of glimpses into you know viola davis playing putt putt in her office or whatever um but man just both performances are just are are just so on point and i, I just wanted i think they're they're getting my my nod of honor out of the cast i liked her a lot better in this one than i did in the the other version that is for damn sure um and then with the character of the polka dot guy I wondered what was going on with this character. I guess I didn't quite understand it a lot of the time. The the performance was was fine. I I just he started off being this depressed guy, like I want to kill myself, but they never really went anywhere with that. I thought they were going to actually run with his being suicidal or something. And then I mean, he sort they of did had... him being murdered. Him being murked at the end is like his happy ending. I, I is it though because he seemed to actually be enjoying some of the time. Like he was he was friends with Milton. He liked him. Um, he just seemed like he was quiet, you know, that he, okay, he had some issues with his mother, but then he never seemed like he was suicidal for the rest of the movie. Oh, did you not notice all the scenes with, like, there's a lot of scenes where the characters are standing around, and if you look at him, he's always, like, staring off forlornly into the middle distance. Yes, just, I did just essentially that. quietly praying for death. I mean, it's, it's unspoken, but it's such a good bit. Is and that what you so thought? Yeah. yeah, I didn't. I didn't get that out of it, but I, I guess that's very possible. Yeah. I, I, as intended. to me, it was the most novel and funny uh, character aspect out of the whole ensemble. It was so. It was so uh, unique for a movie like this. I thought it was great. Yeah, I mean, it was, he was definitely he was fun. Um, Rick, what about you? Who's your MVP? I'm going to have to choose John Cena if we're going to keep James Gunn off the table, because I think John Cena's character, uh, first of all, he's he's an interesting character. He's one of the best characters. He's super fun. He causes the friction between the actual team because clearly he, he's on a different mission than Captain Rick Flagg or is it Colonel Rick Flagg. 
So, and John Cena's got the star power. So not only is he charismatic and he delivers a great performance and he's funny as hell, but he has a star power. I mean, I would argue that he is the biggest star in the film. No offense to uh, anyone else, but he really is. I mean, the dude shows up on WrestleMania and like the world goes nuts because he just shows up for two minutes. Like he's that big of a star. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to choose John Cena. It'll be interesting to see if they do make a sequel if they will cast will smith because i would like to see will smith come back under the direction of james gunn because will smith is also someone who's charismatic and can be extremely funny and there might be a rights issue there i don't know no no no, no because no, no no it's not a rights issue it's it's the character here Bloodsport, is not the same Bloodsport as the character that will smith plays like they share the same name but they're actually two different people is that right? Weird. I yeah. No yeah. Um, I, I briefly considered while I was watching it, giving it to John Cena too. I think he, his character falls off in the last third of the movie. Um, I, I mean, I like him sort of as a villain, but I thought he had sort of, he became less interesting when he went that route. Um, so ultimately, look, I'm going to do the, 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 the person I had the most fun with was Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. I, uh, there's Good choice. Just, it's hands Solid down. Choice. I, I, I'm not saying that the movie wouldn't be entertaining without her, but boy, does she bring just so much life and energy into the proceedings. Um, every, <laughs> I don't care who directs their movie, they're going to benefit from her being in the movie as this character. So, yeah, I every time she was on screen, all of her interactions with other with other characters, she brought out the best it seemed like in other characters too, um, just talking to them. So, yeah, I'm going guys, I'm so stupid. Because I haven't seen the first film in in so long. The first film, Will Smith plays Deadshot. Oh, he's Deadshot. That's yeah. right. Not they're almost right. exactly like the, the same, same but character. Not. But they're not, though. They're two same different beats, characters. though, I mean. Yeah. They have, like, the same beats. Because, their... because I forget his actual name here, but he has the French name. Dubois. I forget his first Dubois. name. Dubois, yeah. Right. And Will uh, Smith is not Dubois. He's Deadshot. That's right. We... Shout out to... Uh... Special special mention slash shout out to Jai Courtney, who leaves more of an impression with his uh, sort of unsettling death smile, uh, you know, right before he gets blown up by that helicopter than he has in, I don't know, the other X movies I've seen him in. Good for him. <laughs> I'm having a hard time remembering too many movies that he has been in. Yeah, there's a reason. <laughs> uh, all right. Howard Hawks test, guys. Three great scenes, no bad ones. Can you list three great scenes and confirm no bad ones? Rick. Okay, I'm going to start because I don't think that this movie has a bad scene. You can nitpick and change things, but a bad scene, I don't know. You guys might Agreed. disagree. No, but, I, I agree. I agree with you. But I think in terms of great scenes, oh boy, there's a lot of good scenes. Um, I, I think the opening scene when they stormed the beach is kind of great because I did not expect so many people to die. And in very creative ways. The arm, the Nathan Fillion getting his arms <laughs> shot as he's like writhing on the ground is kind of, that was I good. think the uh, starfish Ghostbusters like creature feature towards the end when the creature escapes. I think that is great because the effects are great. It looks great. I think it's really unusual to see a creature like that in a movie. Plus the way he releases like little bits of himself and little starfish fly into people's heads and consume them. I, I thought that was great. Like Slither. Yes. <laughs> 
and I actually it's think true. that the yeah. scene in which they raid the rebel camp and assassinate everyone is kind of great too. So yes. I'm going to say that this movie has at least three great scenes, no bad scenes. It passes the Howard Hawks test. Okay. I Simon. think Howard Hawks, I think Howard Hawks would have brought this in under a hundred minutes, but uh, <laughs> other than that, yeah, I think it, it ba- uh, yeah, I don't know if it, Great scene. I don't know. I don't want. I don't want to hem and haw over this too much. Uh, but at least in terms of no bad scenes, I'll say it. It, it certainly passes that. It has a lot of scenes I like a lot. Uh, great ones. Uh, we can hem and haw. See, but you know, it's I a think. Good, it's a I good think movie. the scene already. The I think this movie already already has iconic scenes. Like I think that people will talk about specific scenes in this movie from like you know ten ten years from now, twenty years from now. Like it's just one of those movies that has so many memorable, great moments and sequences and. To me, to my mind, honestly, in terms of stuff that is iconic, that people will remember the most impactful scene is actually the opening credits. Honestly, in terms of how great that needle drop is and how it uh, all the little the little world establishing beats, like the way that the um, the way that the uh, Viola Davis's team, who are other who otherwise really don't leave much of an impression, are like uh, have this betting circle going on and they're like making it they're like fake making it rain on each other. And it establishes the tone so well and so swiftly that I think that's really the one that's going to leave the, 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 the longest lasting impression. Yeah, I have a hard time coming up with iconic scenes. I think there are a lot of very good to very good scenes in this. I'm not sure that I'll remember a whole lot. I've already, you know, I only watched this a couple nights ago and I already forgotten some of the characters' names. I have a feeling like this movie's going to fade for me. It's not going to stick. Uh, probably similar to what Simon experienced the first time he watched it. So it's hard for me to say that there's iconic scenes then because I just don't know how much I'll remember. But I think for the target audience, this movie is like up there as one of the greats. Like for you anyone who's I'm a, not target audience. For anyone who's a hardcore <laughs> diehard fan of DC Comics, anyone who loves comic book movies, I mean, this is like one of the best. And I, I think that like if I were to like make a list of the greatest scenes from like comic book movies, this would be on that list. Like there'd be several scenes from this movie on that list. So Well, I, I think the I mean, you can talk about the target audience, but I think that the I think the key to the to the success of this movie is that even people who are kind of burnt out on this shit, which I definitely am, mm-hmm. um, which is why I sort of had a slight bit of uh, hesitancy even about uh, watching it the first time, even though I'd heard good things. I think even if you have fatigue with this stuff, and perhaps especially if you have fatigue with this stuff, I think um, Gunn is able to find enough novel angles and also to sort of de their their powers don't feel all that super most of the time in this movie you know it's uh they it really is fairly they he does a good job keeping that stuff mostly ground level until we get to the um to the climax uh so i i think key key to its success is the fact that even if uh even if you're not in that target demo i think it still mostly holds together but that's what i was saying earlier it doesn't feel like a superhero movie in fact yeah. i am totally tired of comic book movies that I still have not yet seen the last three Marvel films. So I, like you was skeptical and worried, but I went in hoping I would like it. And sure enough, I love the movie. I saw it twice in one week. So yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you, but like the, the thing about this question is that usually we review older movies. And so it's easier to look back at a movie that was released 40 years ago, 10 years Definitely. ago and yeah. and see if the scenes actually do stand up and if they're iconic and if people still talk about them and you know there's a lot of movies where 10 years later people break down the scenes and they notice things that they did not notice the first time they watched it it's still too early to tell but i really do think that this movie stands the test of time um i mean 
unless they keep making movies like this and it becomes tiresome, you know, but I don't know. James Gunn is, uh, he's a special cat. I can't imagine too many people making movies similar to what James Gunn does, even with his flaws. I mean, the, I've heard, I don't know. I've heard some people go overboard and say, oh, it's like, it's like a big budget trauma movie, which I feel like it's more like a big budget movie that contains nods to, to uh, sort of the trauma vibe. Like when, um, like uh, the the scene where King Shark, you know, eats a guy's head and, you know, the eyes come out, whatever, stuff like that. That stuff has a trauma flavor, but for the most part, it's just a violent Hollywood movie. Yeah, and there's been those. What? I know what I would change. Oh. There's, there's a shot where King Shark decapitates a man and he's about to eat his head, but the guy's eyeballs are still moving, but yet he's dead. I did not like that shot. That was a little too goofy for me. It was too CGI, but... I mean, yeah. what they say your head I, I actually like your, your brain like stays alive for like ten seconds after it's been. Yeah, decapitated. but it looks so. I don't even know if I would call it CGI because they maybe just use like a green screen, but possible the effect is not, weird though. I did not like the effect at all. It was just, yeah. it was just, yeah. <laughs> all right, we got right to like change something. All right, all right. I'm going to consider that a success. Um, all right, last question, Rick. You specifically requested this one. This we may have already tipped our hands on this we, one, but I think we did. Yeah, I don't know, man. This is a hard question to answer. We're gonna go with it anyway. Yeah, favorite character, favorite character. All right, so Rick, you you requested this question. Let's hear it. I I can't decide. I I'm torn. I really like Sean Gunn playing Weasel, who's also playing Calendar Man. He plays two roles in his film, but of the Who two Calendar roles, Calendar Man. Calendar Man's a famous like villain of the Flash comic book series. He plays him in the oh. prison. And then he also plays Weasel. So I really like Weasel. But I really, really like Shark. Like, Sly is so good in this movie. But again, I also gave the MVP to John Cena. So in terms of my favorite character, like, put it this way. I was really hoping Weasel would survive. And he did. So I'm just going to choose Weasel as my favorite character. Okay. Weasel. <laughs> I'm not a... saying he's the best, but he's, no, I, you know, he was interesting. I he's a werewolf. He was, he was yeah. unpredictable. Is what they can he make was. a werewolf and... movie now with Weasel as a as a character that exists for the scope of this movie. Yeah. I think Polka Dot Man was my favorite, just because again it was such a novel conceit as a character that they could keep around and do stuff with, which it seems like they're already doing. It seems like Pace, uh, Peacemaker is the obvious choice. He's just got the most, uh, you know, there's the most potential for things you can do with him. And with that character, I think, in a, in a variety of different concepts and settings that I can just think of off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's the, he believes he's the hero of his story. Yeah, um, which is which is which is an innately compelling hook. And it, and and Cena's got the chops to pull it off. Yeah. And especially for a villain, like that's kind of what you ultimately want. Yeah, or villain. an antihero or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, I said that, you know, Margot Riley's Harley Quinn was my uh, MVP just because the energy. As a character, I don't know that Harley is necessarily like fascinating. Um, I kind of think Peacemaker also might be the best character ultimately. I think Harley is the best. Uh, it's the best performance of any character. But uh, yeah, I, I might go with Peacemaker as well. I, although I did find Weasel to be very, <laughs> like I said, he's unpredictable. I liked a lot of the guys at the beginning. Not I. I, I kind of wanted to know at least a little bit more about some of them. Um, not so much. I don't even remember what what Jai Courtney did. What, what, what was his power? Being Australian. 
<laughs> I don't even remember what he flew the Borg. I thought the Javelin, like what a ridiculous character, but it also seemed very old school DC Marvel kind of character. Like, oh, there's a guy with a Javelin. Uh, Isn't it amazing how little we've mentioned Rick Flagg in the last 45 minutes, even though he's in so much of this movie? He's he's just not interesting. He's a boring character. He's is better this time around than it was last time. I will say, Joel Kinnaman, ever since the days of the killing, that boy has been eating his Wheaties. Holy fuck, he's thick. <laughs> he is such a wide... Joel, Joel Kinnaman, he is a wide-looking man. Yeah. Like, he's he's gotten beefy over the years. My goodness. I'm surprised he's not a bigger star. Uh, I mean, he gets around. I mean, he's in this movie. <laughs> he's a pretty big star. You're right. He has this a is a massive budget movie. But I'm just yeah. saying, like, he's in this movie, but nobody knows who he is. Like, if you say that name, he's not a household name or anything. No, I think, I mean, I still think of him as, as that brooding, brooding cop from The Killing, honestly, mainly. Wasn't Definitely he in RoboCop? Bit. Didn't he play Alex Murphy? He was He was in the new, yeah, he was in the misbegotten new RoboCop that I didn't see and refused Ugh. to watch. Yeah, right. no, yeah. Don't, don't bother. But you uh, know, like, not just terrible, back... just boring. It's the, the yeah. worst sin you can make as a movie. Indeed. But just going back to Peacemaker, John Cena's character, like, I would fit him in the same category as Homelander mm, uh, from yes. The Boys. And yeah. what is the name of Invincible's dad? J.K. Simmons. No, the actual <laughs> character. No, I know. I I don't know. He's just J.K. Simmons to me. But no, I I know what you mean. He's the, very much the uh in that mold of the 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 twisted version of the all powerful superhero who's supposed to be the all American whatever. Yes, and and still believes himself to be that, even though he's yeah become. And I mean, also in the mold of where Superman ends up in the sort of Snyderverse. Spoiler alert, I guess. <laughs> All right, well, we should probably wrap things up before we go too deep into the Snyderverse or the MCU. Um, Simon, can anybody find you online anywhere at the moment? No, uh, no, not right now. Okay. Soon, maybe. All right. Teaser. Uh, Nowhere for me. Rick, where can everybody find you? The podcast, the website, everything. Man, I apologize for saying this at the end of the podcast, but I didn't want to start a big debate on this. I still think DC Comics makes more interesting films than Marvel Comics. Like, Marvel might have more hits because DC Comics takes so many chances and changes things up. Like, I just feel like their movies are far more interesting, even when they don't necessarily succeed. Totally Um, agreed. In terms of the podcast, you can find the podcast over at SortedCinema.com. It should redirect to the main site, which is Goombastomp. But yeah, SortedCinema.com. You can find us on Twitter, and facebook like us on facebook follow us on facebook and the podcast is available everywhere from itunes to spotify to youtube to podbean you name it uh give us a rating uh subscribe to our youtube channel and uh, leave us a comment and i guess that's about it cool all right that'll do it for this week uh i don't know if we have an idea of what we're doing next week simon oh i guess it's up to me uh i'll think about it i'll think about it and i'll get back to you um all right We will be back next week. Mm